Welcome to the Advanced Tech Podcast. Joining me today is Kale Moody from Neptune Dash. Hi there. Thanks for having me. So please tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, it's funny. I come from a finance background, so I'm actually a chartered accountant, CPA by trade. And um, I come from a long line of public company background, transactional finance. And prior to that, I was actually in public practice with KPMG in Vancouver in their industrial markets group. So I come from a background um, where we used to focus on mining and precious metals and, and what first turned me on to sort of this whole industry and, and cryptocurrency in general was the same fundamentals that I liked about precious metals, which was uh, the scarcity factor. Very cool. If you could tell our listeners a little bit about Neptune Dash and the mission of the Dash blockchain. Yeah, so Neptune Dash is interesting. I mean, it wasn't our first concept and it, it certainly won't be our last for the Neptune group. Basically, what we wanted to do was create vehicles uh, that gave your retail investors exposure to cryptocurrency. So what we did is we looked at essentially the top 10 coins, tokens out there, which was back in early January. And we said, okay, how can we build an operating business around an exposure vehicle? And Dash, we like for a number of reasons, um, which we'll get into a little later here. But um, for us, it was like, okay, let's build an operating vehicle. Dash provides us that opportunity. Not only that, but we really like Dash. And at that point in time, I think it was fifth um, in the list of top 10 market caps in the world for coins, fifth or sixth. And we said, hey, th- we think this is headed to the top three market cap. This is this is a great coin. They have a great foundation behind them um, to propel it forward. And so we said, okay, let's let's do this. This is where we, we can focus our one of our first vehicles on. And so we created Neptune Dash. I think it was last spring, summer, and um, took it public in January of this year. So it's been quite an exciting and fast-paced run, as as with everything in the uh, in the crypto blockchain world. Yeah, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. Uh, everything is very fast-moving in this industry. And it's funny, you can be a company that's been around for a year uh, or more, and you're already a veteran in the space, which is quite different from how people are used to seeing business. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. Uh, you know, I I don't consider myself an expert in quotations, unnecessarily cryptocurrency and blockchain space. But a lot of people look to me as an expert. You know, I've been following it since 2013. And actually, we tried to put together uh, myself and another group of individuals tried to put together a cryptocurrency company focused on Bitcoin back in 2013. And that was just, we were way ahead of our time. I mean, it just wasn't going to happen. There was couldn't even get a bank account, let alone um, try and get something public. So I have been following it for some time now, a number of years. But in terms of really rolling up my sleeves and delving into it, it's been, been a year and a half, maybe. And funny enough, that puts me on the forefront of, <laughs> of the experts. So, so it's kind of interesting. So what makes Dash different from other blockchains? And why did you choose to focus around Dash? Yeah, so Dash is interesting. I mean, there's a number of things we really like about Dash. I mean, A, it was a top 10 cryptocurrency at the time. I think it's number 12 or 13 right now in terms of market cap. So we knew that it was liquid. So that was really important to us. Um, we knew there was demand. And Dash stands for digital cash. So what, what Dash is really trying to do is replace cash. So the way I see it is eventually we're going to be in an environment where um, people don't actually have to leave the crypto the crypto realm. They, they don't have to go back into fiat. I mean, right now we're still in that system where people enter the crypto world. And at some point in time, they think about changing it back into fiat. But the mission of Dash is that you never actually have to go back to fiat. You can transact and you're using it as cash. I can go to Starbucks and buy my coffee or I can go to Amazon or wherever and I can actually spend those Dash. I don't ever actually have to go back into fiat world. 
so that's that's the mission of Dash, and Dash is supported by the Dash Foundation. So what we really liked about it was that it's run like a corporation. So they actually have marketing and developers and uh, CEO and you know all this sort of stuff that can really propel the coin, the token forward. So unlike Bitcoin and these other cryptos where you have a network of developers and they're all they all have different sort of conflicts of interest and biases and some are purists and they you know it takes a long time to get anything done. Uh, so that what we really like about Dash is that it has sort of this democratic system where the masternodes get a vote and they vote essentially on all initiatives put forward by the Dash Foundation, which again are initiatives put forward by either the foundation or actually individuals who want to see change. So people and corporations or anybody who essentially owns a masternode um, can actually vote on the change. So assuming we we need to increase the block size because uh, we're getting bogged down because there's so many transactions. Well, um, you know how that goes with with Bitcoin. That's going to be a long drawn out battle and a process. Whereas with Dash, the foundation puts forward the initiative and the masternodes vote on it. Now, the masternodes are all aligned generally because we're all sort of driven by our own self-interest, which, of course, is to see the adoption of Dash and the inevitable price increase and value increase in Dash as a cryptocurrency. So it works out really well. The only risk I see there is essentially a massive corporation taking on all the masternodes or owning all the masternodes. But you got to remember, it's there's uh, 4,700 masternodes out there, I believe, on any given day. And you know, to create one masternode is about $475,000 US right now. So you need a lot of capital to to basically buy out all the masternodes and you run the price up substantially. So so these are some of the things we really like about Dash is that, again, it's run like a corporation. I understand that. I can see that. And I can see how it can be pushed forward into one of the top cryptocurrencies out there. It's basically decentralized um, in that all the decision making is done through the masternodes. So how is that distributed? Yeah. So, so basically, the block reward is split unlike the other currencies like Bitcoin, where 100% goes to the miners. So the miners are mining and that block reward, it's split up now. So the miners get 45% to the miners, 45% to the masternodes, and then 10% goes to the treasury managed by the DAO, which is the Dash Foundation. And they can spend it on Dash initiatives. So say, you know, I want to promote Dash at universities in Sweden. So I'll put forward a proposal to the Dash Foundation saying, you know, I want to uh, push forward adoption in Sweden by issuing Dash wallets to a thousand students at so-and-so university. Can we get 0.015 Dash per person as a donation from the foundation and the wallet and um, we'll go out and issue these to students to promote adoption. So that initiative would go up on the Dash uh, website, which you can see. You can see all these initiatives. And the masternodes would vote on this and then they'd make it happen if it was approved. And, you know, why wouldn't we make that approved? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It just promotes, again, more circulation of the currency, digital cash, Dash, and a use case scenario where people can actually use this stuff. So the trick is to get the vendors into a situation where they're accepting Dash as well. I think that's, that's a bigger hang up. It's two sides of the coin is getting the vendors to accept Dash and getting people to actually use it. So you mentioned masternodes. So what exactly is a masternode and... What would you say the primary difference is between miners and masternodes? Well, they're totally they're totally independent of one another. So, so the miners are just like any proof of work miner in that you have basically machines solving an algorithm and they're rewarded for solving that algorithm. The reward is basically a payment and creation of new dash tokens 
And those tokens, again, are paid to the miner. What's interesting about Dash is that, again, 45% of that block reward goes to the master node. So the master nodes are performing a function, whereas the miners are creating the new coins. Now, the miners pay out, well, I mean, it's all automated, but they pay out essentially 45% of that reward immediately to the master nodes for performing their service. And then again, 10% goes to the, the Dash Foundation of the DAO. So there is no solving of algorithms or work, actual work being performed by machines with the master nodes. Essentially, the master nodes are servers um, that perform a certain number of functions on the Dash network. And those functions are they do something called private send, where uh, they privatize a transaction and that you can't go back and see uh, every transaction ever made from someone's private key. It's like, why would I want someone to see my bank statement every time I transacted at Starbucks? I don't. It doesn't make any sense. So they also do this thing called InstaSend, which speeds up the processing time for transactions to a few seconds, which is quite nice. Um, you know, we've sent millions of dollars back and forth between Trezors and accounts in seconds. And then there's a the governance feature. So the, like I spoke about earlier, the Dash masternodes perform that governance feature where they essentially vote on the Dash initiatives. So the miners are really just mining. They're really just creating those new coins, whereas the masternodes are performing certain features and functions of the Dash network. So how is Dash planning on scaling the network? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. So scaling, I see twofold. So um, the first one is obviously adoption, which is really important and a use case scenario for Dash. So Dash, again, being digital cash, the whole idea here is to get people using it as cash with vendors. Um, unlike Bitcoin, where it seems Bitcoin is turning out to be more of a reserve currency or digital gold in that it's used as trading, but it doesn't really have that much of a use case um, unless Lightning Network comes into effect full force. Um, so what Dash is doing, they're doing something called Dash Evolution, which is quite exciting. Basically, the high level is increasing the ease in which you can use Dash uh, for small transactions on a daily basis. And this is essentially attaching a username to your private or to your keys. You don't need this long, complex key anymore um, to transact with. What you would do is basically you'd have a username. So I'm Kale Moody. So say I use, I don't know, Kale Moo as my username. Well, that would be really easy for someone to steal because, you know, you use it a couple of times and someone's going to guess it. But what you would do is you would have things similar to, you'd have different keys representing different types of accounts. So maybe I would have a savings account. And in that savings account, I, you know, say I'm really wealthy and I have $10 million in Dash sitting in my savings account. You know, I'm not going to use, use that username ever. I'm just going to use it, that as a key. But I want to transact on a daily basis of when I go out for dinner or when I go to Starbucks or anything like that. Well, now all I need to know is my username. No one's going to be able to, to basically steal any more than I have in that account. Plus, you can probably also set daily limits. So it's essentially like a bank but using, of course, your private keys. So again, you have a username. I'd go to Starbucks. Um, you know, the maximum I could probably do, say it's $100 or $1,000 in a day, and I can transact throughout the day using that username. So it makes it really easy to transact, comparable to your Visa where you can tap, you can tap transactions on a little device and uh, do that pretty instantly. So that's, that's one of the scaling solutions of Dash Evolution is Let's make this really easy to use. And then, you know, it's going to speed up adoption. 
And so the next the next thing to think about here is, okay, well, if everybody is doing this and all of a sudden we're processing as many transactions as Visa or MasterCard or Amex, um, now we have a real scalability issue in terms of in terms of block size. So this is where the masternodes come in and the fact that Dash is very reactive and is able to adapt to an increasing use case. So now all of a sudden we have to increase the block size uh, substantially to accommodate all these transactions. So in this case, the vote would go out to increase the block size. The masternodes would vote on this and I don't see why masternodes would not vote to support this. And there you go, it's done. The developers increase the block size and it's stamped and it's approved and there it goes. So that's how I see sort of the scalability of Dash as unique compared to a number of other coins out there in sort of the top 10 or 20 uh, market cap coins. Interesting. Yeah. And that is one of the primary criticisms against any kind of cryptocurrency is, well, that's a really interesting concept, but how will it scale? And, And people don't realize that there are other concerns such as security and immutability of the network that make it really compelling. Uh, And of course, there are first and second layer applications that make it so that it will scale. So it's interesting to see other cryptocurrencies besides Bitcoin look at this in a compelling way. Yeah, it is really interesting. And and I like the forward thinking nature of the foundation. It's not just sort of leaving it all up to chance. You know, they're pushing this forward aggressively. That's why we also, you know, apart from the masternode um, structure, we also really like the fact that Again, you have this entire network of developers and marketers and executives pushing this forward. It's a really good um, good indication of future growth. So if somebody was looking to build a master node and connect it to the blockchain, how would they go about doing that? Excellent question, because I don't think we've addressed that yet. So essentially, a master node requires a thousand dash. So a uh, thousand dash at today's market prices. I don't know. Uh, in Canada, it's like, you're probably going to be 600 and something thousand uh, US dollars today. Uh, dash, I believe, is about 475 bucks US. So it's $475,000 US dollars to basically build a masternode. Then you need uh, a server. It doesn't need to be anything complex. We use actually, we started out using hard servers, uh, like hardware. Um, at a data center, and then we've sort of evolved to cloud servers. Now, those cloud servers are inexpensive. People ask us, hey, what's your power consumption, your your equipment, and all this? Well, there is none. I mean, we're using, we're essentially using cloud servers that cost us about 20 bucks a month per masternode. So you essentially are running a server, um, and that server you stake. Now, this is an interesting concept. You're staking the fact that you have a thousand dash. But you're not actually staking it because you're you're actually holding your dash as we do in cold storage. So the dash, once you have consensus that those thousand dash actually belong to you, which takes a couple hours max, the network says, yes, you guys have those thousand dash. We run a little app provided by the Dash Foundation and we have our server and it's functioning. It takes a couple hours and now we have our, our master node. So it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty easy to do. I wouldn't say it's something highly complex. I'm not technical. It took me a few times, but I do understand how to do it now. But yeah, it's the real barrier to entry is the fact that you need to buy a thousand dash. So most people don't have four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars US sitting around to spend and create a masternode. Uh, what's cool about what we're doing here at Neptune Dash is that hey, you can have exposure now to that masternode earnings. So that forty-five percent of the block award is now paid out to us and essentially to shareholders. So the shareholders 
who would not have 475000 maybe they only have $5,000 to invest by buying Neptune Dash, you're essentially getting that reinvested Dash payment upside potential. And that's reinvested, I guess, in more masternodes. So it's kind of a cool concept. Again, unlike mining, where you're setting up these companies basically are setting up data centers and you're running uh, graphics cards that require a lot of um, a lot of power. There's obsolescence, there's failure, there's risk of fire, theft, whatever. We don't have that. The second thing I should mention is obviously security. So what's what is nice is that we store our dash offline cold storage on secure hardware that again is not connected to the internet which is cold storage and those are stored in vaults uh, held by our our law firm so really we think we've eliminated the risk of of theft to negligible or zero interesting yeah security is one of the the main concerns uh, with any kind of digital money supply that's why you have things like bank vaults with traditional fiat and gold yeah yeah it's it is interesting and it's it's something that people always who are new to cryptocurrency always mention to me and they say, well, I know that, but I heard there was this theft of $24 million of Bitcoin or whatever last week. And I say, okay, well, that's, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely our risk, but that's not a failure of Bitcoin. That's a failure of the storage of the Bitcoin. That's like saying, am I not going to use Canadian dollars or US dollars anymore because a bank had got robbed? No, you're not. You're going to say that's a crappy bank. I'm probably not going to put my money there, even though your, your money's insured. So that's the difference, I guess you could say, is that the cryptocurrency is not insured against theft, but you're not going to not buy crypto because a bank got robbed, or you're not going to buy it and stop using cash because a bank got robbed. So security is security is one of those things that you really need to understand. And again, buying it through a fund, which there aren't many choices out there for funds right now other than buying Bitcoin through Grayscale, but buying it through something like, again, like Neptune Dash, my promotion again, but buying it through Neptune Dash, you don't have to deal with the security aspect. So a lot of people just don't understand it. Um, and they don't want to deal with it. They don't want that hassle or headache. So uh, being a chartered accountant and and working in public practice, uh, there's two actually CAs on our board of management team. And, you know, we've gone through the entire SOX documentation on security protocols for how we store these funds, because we know that we're going to be sitting on, I mean, well, we believe that we're going to be sitting on, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in Dash or more than that at some point in time. So we need, to, you know, security is everything. If we don't deal with that, we're done. It's very important. But um, again, a lot of people don't necessarily understand it. They're keeping it on on wallets on their phone. And uh, those certainly are you know, open to be hacked. So you really need to understand if you're going to store your own cryptocurrency, you really need to understand security and how you can best secure your assets. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I find it really interesting that you have two CAs on your your management team. I think one of the things that we're going to start seeing in the cryptocurrency industry is a lot more in terms of fiduciary duty. And so it's interesting to see people that already have the credentials in a financial field and many years experience starting to take over managing these projects. Yeah, and I think it's really important because you know, we want people to trust us and believe in what we're doing. And the ability of us to run a public company and the ability of us to manage millions of dollars in assets is very important. And who would, who's going to buy our stock if there's no expertise on the team that knows how to do that? So we decided it was good. And, uh, you know, it, wasn't, it was actually probably more by chance that we have two CAs. I mean, myself and 
Troy Wong, who's my co-founder, you know, we came together because of our interest in cryptocurrency and we just both happen to be CAs. So, I mean, you're not going to see that everywhere, but it's a good melding of the minds and skills. So we have our crypto expertise, we have our financial expertise, we've sort of covered all avenues there. I would be wary in investing in any company or giving my money to anybody who had no expertise in, in either finance or managing or managing assets or running a public company, because that in itself is not a cakewalk. It's, it's quite complex. Yeah, fair point. So how important is voting and on-chain governance protocols? Well, I think it's super important. I mean, there's a couple of factors here. For Dash specifically, you know, again, it's decentralized. So that's really important. Obviously, the whole idea behind cryptocurrency is that this is decentralized. So you have the masternodes voting. It's 4,700 masternodes around the world. We're all voting for Dash initiatives and the ability to adapt and evolve the token. So again, the second most important thing is the ability to adapt and evolve. Everybody knows the sector and the crypto blockchain space is moving you know, rapidly. I mean, uh, this is why people call it Internet 2.0. I mean, the Internet moved pretty fast when it first came about in the early 90s. This is exponentially greater. Uh, things are moving so fast, it's actually hard to keep up. You have to be on this stuff every day. And who knows what's going to happen in the six months, a year from now. So the ability for a token to survive and be viable going forward and actually fulfilling what Dash wants to do, which is become a use case token as digital cash, uh, it has to be able to adapt and evolve really quickly. So again, that voting mechanism allows Dash to adapt and evolve. It eliminates any potential for infighting, I believe, just because I believe everybody's everybody's aligned in terms of where they want to see this this coin go, which is again is adoption, usability, and growth. So having that democratic voting mechanism, I think, is key to essentially evolving and being able to uh, move up the basically the ranking in terms of the best tokens for usability around the world. So, what was the driving force that inspired the creation of Neptune Dash? Yeah, again, so so I mean, we came from a perspective of thinking. How do we expose sort of a less sophisticated crowd of retail and institutional investors to cryptocurrency that may otherwise not be able to invest due to lack of expertise, lack of knowledge, or just governance and not allowing them to buy directly into cryptocurrency? So, for instance, we have Fidelity, which is obviously one of the biggest funds in the world. Uh, They own 15% of our company. So I think for them, it was a really easy way to sort of garner exposure to cryptocurrency without actually having to buy it and hold it themselves. So we basically created this product and it's it's quite beautiful in terms of how it all came together, which is, again, a retail product or an institutional product uh, for people who are not sophisticated enough or don't have the time or basically aren't allowed to hold cryptocurrency directly so they can basically buy it through um, a retail product. That was sort of the idea behind it. And again, doing it through Dash was one of these perfect ways to do that in, in that we can have this operating company, we can, people can get exposure to the cryptocurrency, but they get exposure like they had owned a masternode. So you're owning sort of a little piece of a masternode that pays you 7% a year and that reinvests back into more Dash. And then we build more masternodes and those masternodes create more Dash. So so the model itself was pretty cool. And people who otherwise wouldn't be able to get exposure now can get exposure through through our company. Cool. So what are some of the goals you have for Neptune Dash? And what are your plans for 2018? 
Yeah. So, you know, I had a pretty, <laughs> it's funny, again, back to how things changed so rapidly in this sector. I mean, when we first raised the money, which was back in December, um, obviously it was a different market. We raised roughly $23.2 million. We put almost all of it into purchasing Dash. I think our average price for each Dash token was about $800 US. And as you know, we're trading, I mean, Dash is now at about 475 between 475 and 500 bucks. So about $300 down per token. That said, I'm not too concerned about that. I have a longer term perspective where I see see us retest testing these old highs on Dash and, and blasting through them. So I'm not too concerned about short term volatility and pricing. But that said, I was really wanting to raise more money and scale our operations. So I would like to raise another $100 million in 2018. Again, put that right back into the crypto, build more masternodes. And now you have, you're getting this sort of exponential growth curve in terms of how fast we're building masternodes and generating revenues. So that was my, that was my initial plan. That's still my plan to raise more capital, of course. And now we're sort of getting into, into finance, but nobody likes the optics of doing a down round. We raised our money at 50 cents. We're trading at roughly 35 cents today. So the optics of doing a down round are not good, but the actual accretive value to shareholders of doing a down round where you take that money that you raise and put it all back into buying cryptocurrency and creating more Dash nodes is actually very accretive and it's not dilutive at all. But people don't like to see it for whatever reason because they don't think through these things. And again, we're a retail product, so we need to keep people happy. But uh, my plan is let's see where the price goes in the next little while. I'm sort of standing by and watching and at some point in time, we want to raise more money and again, put it right back into Dash and build more masternodes and increase revenues. It's a very simple, straightforward, easy to understand model for most people. And, and that's what we like about it. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there and companies that people really don't understand what they're doing. So this is, this is quite simplistic in that sense. Um, additionally, we're incubating a company, a subsidiary that we created called Neptune Stake. Now, Neptune Stake is a proof-of-stake company. So unlike proof-of-work, which is where you have machines, ASIC miners, or graphic cards, uh, solving algorithms, getting paid in coins, proof-of-stake is a different system where we're moving away from that hardware requirement of grinding out, solving of algorithms, and the environmental cost that comes with the power usage. So ETH is moving to a proof-of-stake we see a lot of coins um, in the next year or two moving towards proof of stake or new coins that are proof of stake coins. And so we want to be again on the forefront of uh, what's happening in the capital markets, which is creating this entity, again, an operating company, which will be a number of proof of stake coins, which we will stake on their individual networks or however, however they do it, because each is unique in how they operate. But generally, they should have um, or do have already some sort of payment for, for providing that proof-of-stake work. So what's interesting is proof-of-stake is similar to a masternode, you know, in, a, in the way that you actually get consensus that you have, you're sitting on a certain amount of cryptocurrency. And for doing that, you get paid. And so that's a proof-of-stake system. Instead of actually solving algorithms... You're basically getting consensus that, hey, we have a thousand A tokens or B tokens or 100 tokens, and you get paid 1% or 2% for having those and keeping them there. So it's almost like a savings account. Um, so it creates scarcity and, and value through that system. 
So it's so it's an interesting concept, and we're we put a small amount of capital into developing this proof of stake index of coins, and so that's that's a focus of ours right now. And at some point in time, we're we're thinking, hey, uh, we're going to raise money for this company, and at the right time, we would want to spin it out into a new public company. But we're not going to just spin it out for the sake of spinning it out into a new public company. We want that value to be there for investors. But it's kind of cool because right now, I mean, if you buy you're buying stock in Neptune Dash, you're also getting a piece and a, a share in this in Nuco, which at some point in time will be spun out into a new entity. So not only are you getting exposure to to Dash, but you're getting exposure to a number of proof of stake coins. And what's interesting about that, you mentioned something earlier on about not wanting to raise in a, a downtrend. And in Bitcoin, there's a, well, in cryptocurrency in general, there's a, a longstanding term by the dip. And for people that see the longer term vision of what cryptocurrency is going to do to financial markets, buying the dip is actually an excellent position to be in because you're prepared for when cryptocurrency eventually goes up. And I, I think we can't see the future. We can't predict you know, exactly what it's going to be. I mean, John McAfee thinks it'll be uh, $1 million per Bitcoin by 2020. And a lot of these things, you know, sure, they're based on some technical analysis uh, and based on trends. But I think the general consensus is that this is something that's here to stay. And it's a good time to get into the market. If you can imagine buying into early Google or early Amazon. I mean, that's the opportunity that I think a lot of us who are in cryptocurrency and, and blockchain fields, the few of us that see that, um, I think we're well positioned for the future. Yeah, I agree. And to your point um, about buying the dip, it's kind of ironic because we're dealing with a retail and institutional or maybe even, of course, I don't mean this by insult, but probably a less sophisticated or, or a later adoption cryptocurrency buyers People are scared and they don't understand that concept. But for me, it makes a lot of sense. Hey, why would we not raise $100 million right now and average in over the course of the year here, taking advantage of the dip? But I have to deal with the optics of a retail crowd. And that, of course, changes our ability to to buy the dip, <laughs> which I obviously would love to be doing right now, because I believe that we're, we're still the infancy of this. And it's it's here to stay, absolutely. And a lot of people understand that. So I'd like to dig a little bit more into your background and ask who are some of your early mentors and why? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, early mentors. I mean, I, you know, there's a number of, a number of people in this space that I look up to and certainly uh, finance individuals that have had the foresight to invest in, in technologies that they're at, at inception or, and put everything behind them. I mean, really, like one of my biggest, obviously, people I look up to is Elon Musk, just because he puts everything behind an idea and makes it happen. And he's he's quite a fascinating character in that, you know, he'll he'll go to the edge of personal bankruptcy to, to push an idea forward. So, you know, I have lots of financial mentors, too, in my background over the years, investors and uh, public markets guys. And But again, I come from a public markets background. So in the crypto space, I mean, it's it's hard to point to one individual and say, say that's my mentor because that's sort of everybody sort of figured out their their place on their own I think in this in this realm and um, I can't think of one specific individual but certainly anybody who goes all in and puts their money behind an idea um, like someone like an Elon Musk would be is definitely someone I highly respect that's awesome uh, so what are some of the challenges you face as director and CEO of Neptune Dash 
Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also there's all sorts of challenges here. Um, obviously, the one of the biggest challenges of being a CEO is keeping your shareholders happy because there's always going to be people who are unhappy for whatever reason. And what's interesting about this product is that we don't really have any control over the movement and the price of cryptocurrency. We can only control a few factors, and that is essentially how much money we spend, our burn rate to run this company, which we have direct control over. And I think we're very good at doing that as being chartered accountants and having a background in finance. Um, so efficiency of running the operations is what we have control over. We have control over marketing the story and making sure everybody understands what we're doing and getting the word out. But keeping everybody happy is very difficult. And I hear from angry shareholders all the time because you know, there's always going to be people who get in higher and they see the share price go down. They don't like that and they want to blame somebody. And unfortunately, as a CEO, you have to manage people's emotions a lot of the time. And, and that, that can be uh, a soul-crushing job at times because the first three months after we went public, I thought we did a really good job of averaging in and buying Dash, over our, which is our procurement policy, is over a 30-day period. But this is just an example of, of how you don't have really any control. I mean, we had no idea that Dash was going to come off. Um, you know, I figured that at some point in time, we're going to have a retracement in the market. I didn't know it was going to be so quick and so aggressive. And so we had a massive crushing of the price in cryptocurrencies from the December highs. So, of course, you know, everybody who got in at 50 cents or bought the rally, the early day rally when we first IPO'd, you know, I heard from most of them in one, <laughs> some form or another. You know, of course, my fault that cryptocurrency went down and, and, you know, we're a ripoff and we're a scam and this and that. So, I mean... I wouldn't say it's a fun job necessarily being the CEO. Um, sometimes people call that job the hangman. But, uh, you know, at some point in time, it's very rewarding. And, you know, I really, I really enjoy it when people, and when people are making money and people understand that you only have control over certain factors, you know, it's, it's great. It's great dealing with those people. And, you know, sophisticated money understands that. They understand that this is a, this is a high risk. It's a high risk investment. I mean, you're betting on the price of cryptocurrency. Again, as CEO and director, I can only control so many factors and so many variables, which is, hey, keep the public company running and do a good job of it and make sure uh, it's cost effective. Keep a solid board with good ideas. Keep evolving. Um, you know, so we're trying to do that, obviously, with uh, our proof of stake concept and stay true to what, what, our, what our initial idea was, which is to build, build an exposure vehicle with a, a nice reinvested dividend. So I think we've done a really good job of keeping all these things in play through the pullback, but there's always going to be people who are unhappy because they haven't managed their risk properly or they've invested at the top and prices have come off. And again, I have to I have to manage those emotions on a regular basis. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think, you know, there are natural market ebbs and flows, even in traditional markets, but in crypto it is extremely volatile because it's a newer market. Uh, so we're establishing the norms, essentially. I believe it's poised for a tremendous growth, uh, as do many others in the industry. And you're starting to see institutional money come in as well. Uh, I think with the CME entering the markets and allowing futures trading last year, I believe it was October, November, late last year, we're going to start seeing some interesting things in this space. And, and already with the new advances, such as Lightning Network, we're starting to see this is more on the Bitcoin side, but we're starting to see transaction fees go down. We're starting to see volume level out and uh, it'll be interesting times ahead, I think. Yeah, I think it's, it, I, I totally agree with you. I think, I think this is, we're just at inception here and 
it's going to be hard to predict what's going to happen and what's going to take shape over the next few years. But I'm super excited about it. And, it's, and I'm very excited to be in this space and have exposure to the space in a, in a big way. And again, back to the fact is that I wanted to create something where everybody can have exposure to the space and everybody can play in the space and be excited about the future. Again, at the same time, managing their own personal risk and understanding the volatility uh, of the space. At the end of the day, only, only you can take that risk decision. Uh, nobody else can. Yeah, very true. And I think in cryptocurrency, one of the things that it emphasizes really is autonomy. It's no longer trusting a third party and having that as a barrier to the market. Uh, it's interesting that we are seeing kind of hybrid solutions where people who understand cryptocurrency are able to set up index funds and other funds, enabling people to buy in who might not be able to buy in. It's, it's a really interesting concept because as traditional financial markets go, I mean, I think we've seen uh, multiple times throughout history, that if you start trusting one centralized party, that's where things break down. So I believe that's one of the strongest use cases for cryptocurrency is that it distributes that trust amongst many people. And yes, there may still be bad actors in the system, but those are very limited. So I think it's a really compelling use case. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's always going to be bad actors and there's always going to be people trying to manipulate markets. Um, but decentralization certainly reduces that risk somewhat. In order to manipulate these markets, you have to have uh, massive exposure personally. And, um, you know, there's probably some players out there that do and can manipulate. And I'm sure there has been attempts to manipulate as, as rumors go in the space. But absolutely, I mean, as far as I can tell, crypto is here to stay. Blockchain's here to stay. And uh, it's an evolution that's quite exciting and that I don't think anybody can really guess where it's going to go in the next five to 10 years. So on that, <laughs> what are some of the emerging trends and applications uh, you see in the blockchain and cryptocurrency community? Yeah, I'm really, I'm really super stoked on security-backed tokens. The tokenization of products and uh, luxury products is pretty cool. I'm sort of doing some research myself into this space, but... Tokenization of assets, I think, is going to be huge in the blockchain space. And when I say assets, it can be anything, anything from real estate to a Rolex watch. Not only does tokenization and the use of the blockchain eliminate risk of fraud and fake product because you can track it from inception to along its entire life cycle, but it allows a medium of trading on products that people actually could never trade in or never dabble in. I mean, say say you tokenized a Monet painting. Well, maybe I can never afford to own a Monet, but I, I can own 2% of one. And there's a whole market to trade on that. Hey, where's that price going over time? So I think that the tokenization of assets and security-backed tokens is is really cool. And I think it also adds you know some clout to the, the ICO space. You know, we had these ICOs and it sort of ran rampant for a while in that you know, you had non-accredited investors investing in these ICOs and the ICOs were backed by nothing. And there was no, there was no audit trail of where the funds were spent and nobody really knew anything. Hey, we're just putting a hundred million dollars into company A with the hopes that the tokens are going to go up. And, and maybe the CEO gives himself a raise to $10 million a year. And who, know, who knows where the money's going to go. So I think that's fading out. Uh, I think that was a real sort of flash in the pan for a year, but that's fading out. I, I can't see that being sustainable. So what's neat about security-backed tokens is that there's a legality to legality to the security that backs your token. So, hey, my token's actually out of the gate has a use case other than just being adopted by a lot of people. 
it actually has actually has value behind it. My token can be traded in for maybe for fiat currency or a chunk of real estate, or you know maybe if I own fifty one percent of the tokens of a piece of real estate. I can actually live in that real estate. So I mean, it's it's interesting how that goes, and um, I think that is certainly a growing market and a growing a growing sector. And I think we're going to see a lot of blockchain companies um, out there that focus on security backed tokens. So that's a that's an exciting space. What else is out there? I mean, there's there's so much out there. I mean, blockchain applied to everything from insurance to sales of diamonds and lifestyle tracking and smart contracts and that sort of thing. So I mean, it's really it's really neat. And I and also um, you know data, personal data, the storage of personal data through the blockchain. So instead of having all these centralized corporations that own your personal data, the data stored in the blockchain, and you authorize corporations or you basically authorize the using of your data without authorizing that to a specific individual, they cannot access the blockchain and get and use your data. So I think personal data and the protection of personal data is, is a burgeoning field as well uh, in the space. Um, the next question I was going to ask you was about uh, specific projects. Are there other specific projects you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's sort of the areas that I'm looking at. I mean, we're we're obviously looking at other public company products, but sort of similar to what we're doing right now. What upcoming conferences are you attending and speaking at this year? Oh, yeah. Okay. We're going to be, we're definitely at Consensus. Um, I'm personally going to be at Ethereal in New York coming up here. And I guess it's almost next week, a week and a bit away. Uh, we did Cantech this year, um, did a number of interview slots and a presentation. Uh, Consensus is a tricky one to get a presentation slot. It's, it's highly competitive. So we definitely are not doing a presentation at Consensus. However, we will have a presence there in the Canadian Pavilion, and uh, we are sponsoring that. So we will be conducting meetings with whoever wants to meet with us. Very cool. And finally, do you have any questions or requests for our audience? No, I mean, I, I basically, you know, we're trying to raise awareness for what we're doing in terms of the public company sector and the ability of, you know, retail institutional investors to be able to access uh, exposure to cryptocurrency. So, you know, I invite anybody out there who, who has questions about what we do and how we do it to reach out to myself personally or our investor relations team to pose any questions they might have. But, you know, we're very excited about the space. We're excited about what we're doing with Dash and we're excited about what we're doing with the proof of stake tokens. And I think that's a really interesting field where you're going to see a lot of news and a lot of growth in, in the coming months. Excellent. So how would people find out more about Neptune Dash and how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so they can they can reach out to us directly on our website, uh, which is obviously neptune-dash.com. You can obviously find out a ton about the uh, Dash Foundation through, through their website. They have lots of information about Dash and Masternodes. But we essentially have all that information on our website as well. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. So our social media game is strong and, and we put a lot of information up there. There's a lot of blogs, a lot of articles, a lot of interviews uh, with myself and uh, my co-founder in terms of everything from a uh, 30,000-foot view of what we're doing to how the technical concepts that we're looking at. Yeah, feel free to, to visit us on our website, again, uh, neptune-.com, or give us a call here at our office in Vancouver. Well, Kale, thanks so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure chatting with you, and I wish you all the best. Yeah, thanks very much. Nice chatting with you as well.
Thank you.